0: to give up, but to endure to the end uh, that we are instructed to do. So I like to take some time off and kind of recharge my batteries, and that's why I sometimes disappear uh, for a couple of weeks or even three once in a while. But uh, this happened right after Pentecost this year, there was kind of a compelling reason. There was an area I wanted to go up to in Wyoming and do some fishing, and my fishing license for Wyoming played out on July 6th. So I, the day after Pentecost, it says if we're going to fish on this year's license. I need to get on it. So uh, I just sort of disappeared without fanfare. But uh, that was a lot of why at the moment was to make use of what was left of that years license and the trout was good thank you the weather was in the fifties and sixties got up to seventies a few times and it rained a lot uh, at nine thousand feet on a mountain lake so uh, I appreciated the opportunity from a physical standpoint but also a spiritual standpoint to have time to think and meditate and pray and whatever else needed to be done so uh, that's kind of the way this thing works with me. Is I, It gets hot here, if you hadn't noticed. And if I'm going to take some time off, i like it to be in the summer uh, where I can get up out of the heat and, and depreciate it. And I know you'd like to as well. But uh, sometimes that's just not possible with jobs and everything that's involved with our lives. Uh, Thankfully, I have people to take care of what few animals I have left and do things of that nature. And I heard while I was gone, one of Gloria's bulls committed a uh, death penalty act, got out of the fence, (laughs) happened twice. So this week I plan on building a cool room to help get him in out of the heat. And let him cool out good and age so that he can go into a freezer and enjoy the summer and, and uh, real cool. Not that he'll enjoy it. he's. But, uh, you know, bulls, calves are cute. But when they reach about 18 months of age, which these are, they begin to think they aren't calves anymore. They begin to think that they're bulls. They're not quite there yet, but they're thinking that way, so uh, we'll take care of some problems. Uh, not that they were a real problem, but uh, getting out becomes a difficulty. So anyway, things go on, life goes on, and we have to take care of things sometimes. I, I will make one note. I I looked up a, a former Worldwide Church of God pastor that I've known for 50 years. He's now 95, and he gave up river rafting this year. He showed me pictures of his whole family going out river rafting uh, last year, and he's been a hunter and fisherman. He's up in Wyoming, and he's pastored that area up there for various groups. I don't know how many over these years, but I thought I'm going to look him up. Uh, and we had a, a good visit, friendly, pleasant visit. I learned a few things that he thinks are so at this point. He believes Herbert Armstrong is a false prophet because he missed or, or blew the idea that Christ would be back by 1975. And we've been over that many times I, with Peter and James and John. They were not false prophets because they thought Christ was coming in their time. So um, people come up with these ideas, and I certainly didn't go along with that one. On the other, And I didn't say much. On the other hand, uh, he and his wife, I guess, got on our website after the visit, and the comment was that uh, there are a lot of ideas out there these days. <laughs> I don't know whether they got into the Promised Land and Zion and Jerusalem and all that. I don't know what they saw on there. But uh, he also is just keeping a seven-day Passover now. But he starts it on the 15th instead of the 14th, like the Jews. So there are lots of ideas out there. Things have changed. And that's one reason I feel such heavy pressure to get things right. Whether it's right for just a few or for a lot, it doesn't matter. Uh, One day uh, it will be seen that these things being right... There are going to be a remnant of God's church who need to follow them. So that isn't too far off. Let's have a little bit of update on where things are going, I think, in this world and in this nation. I just read an article this morning that said that there were three countries, three only, on the earth that refused the vaccinations would not allow them in their country, three countries. Burundi was one, and their president had a heart attack at age 55. To look at his picture, he looked like the epitome of health, didn't look old, he looked to be in really good shape, but he had a sudden cardiac arrest. The president of Tanzania, the second country that defied the vaccine, uh, their president was 61, and his picture looks like he was in really, really good health. And he suddenly died. Along the lines of some of the Clinton stories you may have heard, you know, suicide at the back of the head kind of thing. And in Haiti. The other, the third nation that refused it, their president was just simply assassinated outright, just shot. That, to me, seems like an awful lot of coincidence. The three presidents would die in strange circumstances that quickly, and they're the only three on earth that didn't accept the vaccines. Uh, Now, if they're willing to kill presidents of countries for not accepting it, how much do you think they'll value your life if you don't accept it? Not very highly, I don't think. Now, let's add another thing to that. Uh, I read an article that says that the military has now said that any troops who have not been vaccinated are going to be discharged And they will have to pay for all their training that they got in the military. That's the U.S. military. Now, you remember some months ago, I brought up Revelation 18 and the word pharmakeia there, uh, that the great deception would have to do with pharmacy, pharmaceutical uh, industry. Well, I think it was in Health News, I heard this report, that they also brought up that word from Revelation 18 and said that that's what this is. So, it's not just me, (laughs) uh, but others now are beginning to see certain things. They also mention the prophecies in Jeremiah uh, about what's going to happen to our country. So, Uh, There are people that are beginning here and there to pick up on some of these things that the Scriptures say. So I I thought that was kind of nice that that they would also see that. I want to make a reference also now to Hosea. I'm not going to spend much time here. Hosea really is a book about Ephraim, this country, in it being the leader of the other nations of Israel, along with Judah. Ephraim and Judah are mentioned prominently in this book. And we've been through it in years past, and I don't want to spend much time here today uh, because it wouldn't do the book justice to just flip through it. But I want to point out one thing in here in several places uh, that appears to be happening right now. Now, a lot of this, if you read the whole book, appears to be happening to this country right now. But specifically here in (laughs) chapter 5, verse 13, When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim, doesn't specify Judah, but then went Ephraim, this country, to the Assyrian and sent to King Jareb, who was king of Assyria at that time, Yet could he not heal you, nor cure you of your wounds. For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away, and none shall rescue him. Now, I find it interesting that Joe Biden made a call to Mr. Putin, I think it was yesterday, on Friday, and asked him to kindly cease the cyber attacks that Russia is uh, apparently waging on the United States and our our corporations, our businesses, and so on. We've been hearing reports about this for a long time, and apparently there's some truth to it because uh, there was a transcript from the phone call, and... He asked him to cease and desist or cause those people in Russia who are doing these attacks to stop. So he asked for Putin's help in curing our problem that is being waged on us. Now, does this kind of sound like that? He went to the Assyrian and asked for help. And then he made a kind of a empty threat that if you don't do something about this, then we're going to do something about it. Sure we are. We betcha. Let's pick it up again in chapter 7, because it's mentioned several times. Uh, verse 10, And the pride of Israel testifies to his face, And they do not return to the Eternal their God, nor seek Him for all this, all this that's happening. Right above that, maybe I'll comment on it, it talks about how uh, Ephraim is compared to a baker who's making cakes and is a cake not turned. Now, if you've ever forgotten and left a cake in an oven... Uh, and come back later, it'll still kind of be white on top, but it'll be brown and black and charred all over the bottom. And he's talking here about all the peoples that we have allowed to come in through our open borders. Uh, All races, anywhere they're from, they know if they come to Mexico, whether it's Arabs or Chinese or, or people from South America, wherever they come from, are allowed across our borders, and we've just let, let them be streaming in now for years. And now we're facing a situation where they're screaming about white supremacy. Now God gave us this land as Israelites to start with, and we have allowed it to be just simply pretty much taken over by all the other races on earth. And now we are declared the enemies. That's where we are. Anyway, he says, we're like a cake not turned. Ephraim has mixed himself among the people, and strangers have devoured his strength, and he knows it not. Verse 9, yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knows it not. We don't see that we're aging as an empire, as a country, and our death is imminent, <laughs> not very far away. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face, and they do not return to the eternal their God nor seek him for all this. We're Americans, we're proud. We're proud of our flag, we're proud of our heritage, whatever, we think we need to put our pride in, but we don't put any emphasis on God. That's kind of gone out the window. So here we are. I was just thinking the other day about the Pledge of Allegiance. We used to say it in school. They don't anymore. But some of the words of it started coming to my mind. One nation... Under God, we're not one nation anymore. We're just a whole bunch of mixed up, confused people going 14 different directions. And we're not certainly under God. Uh, God is against us, this book shows very clearly. So we're not that. And then it says, indivisible. (laughs) We are divided. Uh, Very clearly divided. And then the next line was, uh, with justice I, and mercy, was it? Justice and justice and something for all. Well, there's certainly no justice left anymore. You go to these courts that are run by liberal judges and there's no justice there. They don't go by the law anymore. They go by their opinion. So you go through the Pledge of Allegiance, and I doubt if you'll find any statement in there that is true anymore. Now, when I said those things as a kid, those words, it was essentially so, and I did agree with it. Now it's just a bunch of empty words that no longer have any virtue or any power or any truth at all in them. That's how much it's changed. Anyway, going on down to verse 11, Ephraim also is like a silly dove. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. I think the Assyrian probably is uh, Russia, essentially. What about Egypt? Egypt was recognized as sin, uh, a symbol of sin around the world. And I think it would be fairly easy to tie the United Nations to Egypt here. Uh, We are going to call on the UN, I think, probably without a doubt actually, we're going to call on the UN to come in and try to straighten out the mess that this nation is becoming. And they may be a part of vaccinating door to door, they may be a part of gun confiscation door to door. Because you can't find enough Americans maybe to do those jobs, but you can certainly find a lot of U.N. Uh, soldiers from all countries who will be very willing to kill Americans if needed in order to either vax them or get their guns. So I think these, these scriptures are coming to pass very, very rapidly, and I wanted to point this out so that we might see what is happening. Chapter 8, verse 9, For they're gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim has hired lovers. So they're enlisting the help of other countries to help us with our problems. Now this is, in, in that sense, maybe in a beginning stage, but it's going to get more intense by the weeks and months as we go along here. So let's have a reminder of it. Verse 14, For Israel has forgotten his maker, and builds temples, and Judah has multiplied fenced cities, defenses. But I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. So God is enacting Deuteronomy 28 on us. The blessings and cursings chapter. We would be blessed if we would obey, and if we would not obey God, he would then curse us and destroy us. And that is a very explicit chapter about the kind of destruction that is going to come upon us. So that's where we are today. Now let's go to where I left you uh, at Pentecost. On the Sabbath before, I had... Gone into the couple of Sabbaths before, actually, Uh, the timing of all these things and how I still think that this has to wrap up by around 2026 27 based on an awful lot of things that we covered. And I brought you up to that point and left it on the Sabbath before Pentecost. And in my mind, I was hoping that maybe God's Uh, Blessings would show up then, maybe some signs and wonders, some healings, various things uh, that possibly could be tied to Joel 2 and Acts 2 with the things that happened on Pentecost. Uh, I didn't predict that, but I was kind of hoping that, and that this would be the time that that might come to pass. Now, there is nothing in Joel... Actually, that ties it specifically to Pentecost. He says he had sinned the former and the latter reigns, and I think on a doctrinal level he has been doing that since 96. I think that's very obvious now that I see it. And I overlooked it for many years, not understanding that. Now, there may be some addition to that on some physical level uh, in the years to come, the few years we have left. Because that could be both spiritual and physical, the former and latter reigns. And in fact, there's one chapter here, or one place even here in uh, Hosea, I think it's chapter 8. No, I guess not. Oh, it says, it's chapter 6, verse 3. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the eternal, his going forth is prepared as the morning. And he shall come to us as the rain, as the latter and former rain to the earth. We won't go into that in the context today for sake of time, but uh, it's mentioned there as well about Ephraim and about the church here at the end. So I do expect physical blessings to come. And that thing in Joel may be fulfilled in that way as well as it has been in terms of of doctrine over these last years. So we'll see how that works out. Now, I didn't get particularly discouraged when nothing happened on Pentecost that seemed significant along these lines. It does say there at the end of Joel, last verse, that 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 will happen with the remnant. So it's talking about the end here and the remnant of God's people. But this Pentecost, the remnant was not here. Uh, so how does it happen to the remnant if they're not yet here? Now, I thought there was a possibility that there would be some signs and wonders that would then cause the remnant to come, and that these things would be spread to them as well. But that apparently was not according to God's schedule. So... Do we just uh, pack our bags and go home and say we're all discouraged and frustrated and this thing isn't coming? Well, I think we've just gone over enough material here at the beginning in terms of news and so on, and even in the book of Hosea to show that these things are indeed occurring. They're happening. I mean, we were discussing among ourselves, and I think I said even publicly, a long time ago, and somebody put it in a succinct phrase the other day that I saw where they said the vaccine was not created for COVID. COVID was created for the vaccine. And I did, I've did i been saying for a long time now, over a year, that I figured they had the vaccine already all figured out. And then they would administer a virus that they would apply it to, and that it would probably be a kill shot. And I think over the next year or two, we're going to see that an awful lot of people are going to die as a result of that shot, and the ones that are going to be followed up with it. Because it isn't a vaccine. It was not made as a vaccine. It's a spike protein thing that causes clots and causes problems. And I think they designed it on purpose and then created a virus to turn loose so that they would have an excuse to use the vaccine. And now if some country doesn't accept the vaccine, their president dies. And the next one has been warned that it might be a good idea to bring the vaccine into our country. So I see no doubt that we are on the edge of everything. So where does that lead us, and what do we next maybe attach some thought, some possibility, maybe even some hope to, because we do need hope, and when hope is deferred, it can make the heart sick. So we always need something to hope for. Now, I'm not going to make a prophecy today, but I'm going to give you something that might give us a bit of hope. (coughs) I've not given up on this year if you will. I think that there are some possibilities that could occur within this year that might be quite important. Now, I've wondered since 96, for that matter, about the book of Haggai (coughs) and Zechariah and how that those are presented. Uh, They're presented in terms of Specific dates. Now you go through the prophecies, and here and there, a prophecy will indicate uh, a certain year of a king. Once in a great while it might mention a month. Uh, might even be a specific day. I don't think of any, but I'm not sure But what there are a few. But Haggai and even Zephaniah, I mean uh, Zechariah to some degree, are pretty specific, very specific. Now, Haggai and Zechariah, as we are very clear, are about the remnant who come together to build the latter temple. And then Haggai even talks about the leadership, uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua there, And then when you get into chapters 3 and 4 of Zechariah, it gives a lot of specific detail about that, that Haggai does not give. It's interesting the way this is put together, because Haggai starts out on a specific date and mentions four dates within the book. And Zechariah began his message in the middle of all that. And part of it came in the 8th month, and part of it came in the 11th month. Haggai starts with the 6th month and 1st day, and ends up with the ninth month, 24th day. So, Zechariah kind of wraps around it, and gives a lot of detail that Haggai does not give. So, God does nothing without purpose, Okay? Uh, Why did he give us specific dates here? And if this indeed is the year that these things begin to come down, maybe Pentecost was not the target at all. Now, I'm not saying that Joel 2 might not have some ramifications on a Pentecost. Maybe next Pentecost. It talks about... God giving, pouring out His Spirit and visions and dreams coming. It doesn't say things about signs and wonders specifically there at all, but dreams and visions and an outpouring of His Spirit. Well, I could see that still happening on Pentecost as Peter tied them together. Uh, Somewhere down the line here, if Haggai and Zechariah begin to take place this year, Sometime by next Pentecost, there might be a reason for a true outpouring of the Spirit of God. So, I'm not saying that Hosea, or Joel 2, does not apply to Pentecost. It very well might. Peter made that connection in Acts 2 when they saw some of those things happen. And he could have been, in one sense, right or wrong about that. Bear in mind that he thought... Christ was going to return within his time. His, and, But that was the day the New Testament church actually formally began. And if Peter made that connection, it may well indeed be a true connection. If so, uh, we didn't see a connection to the end time this year. It was obvious to me in any way. But it may still yet apply by next Pentecost. If there's a reason, because I kept looking over the years at the various scriptures talking about God blessing us, and I think I mentioned this recently, that he talks about blessings coming in the first month. uh, There in Joel 2, and in other places, actually. Uh, And yet, in Haggai, it says... On the ninth month, twenty-fourth day, from this day will I bless you. Now, I always, that was a conundrum to me. How can he say it'll be in the first month, and then he says it's in the ninth month. How come this blessing occurs, and when are the blessings coming, I guess was my question. (laughs) And now I see it as different types of blessings. We began to receive, in the first month of 1996, understanding and doctrinal blessings, understanding of where the promised land is, what Zion is, and and on and on to Jerusalem, and so on we went. And then a lot of doctrinal changes that were important, like the Passover, the calendar, and on and on it went. So we began to receive those blessings in '96 in a very, very open, powerful way. So I think it goes back there uh, that the former and latter reigns on a doctrinal level at least, began in 96. Now they may begin on a physical level by again the first month. Who knows? Uh, Maybe this coming first month, January and April. Who Who knows? It's just a question mark to to throw out there, depending on what happens maybe the rest of this year. So let's get specifically to this then. In Haggai, this is the second year of Darius, uh, so the 70 years had ended two years prior to this, when uh, Babylon was Taken over by the Persians, and Darius came to power over the Babylonian Empire. So, this was two years down the road, and it was two years down the road, if you remember Daniel saying it, that he understood by the book of Jeremiah what the 70 years was about and when it ended. So, he was post 70 year captivity, but they were still there in Babylon, okay, two years later. And it was about then that uh, events began to move with Ezra and Nehemiah to get permission to go to Jerusalem, which was here, and that was over there, to come here to build a temple and to build Jerusalem. So there was a time period there when they were still in Babylon for the most part, even though the formal part of the captivity had ended when the Babylonian Empire was destroyed and Darius took over. So there's a time gap. And this is then the second year of Darius, and here comes a message in the sixth month on the first day of the month to the leadership that will be of the remnant when it arrives, as mentioned in Zechariah 3 and 4, and how they are teaching those who do come. So this is a message that came out two years after the captivity, six month first day. Now, what is the message here? Thus speaks the eternal of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, this time that the Lord's house should be built. And then Haggai said, Is it time for us to go after our own pursuits, or is it time to be focusing on building the temple of God. And he says, consider your ways. You're you're in a time of inflation. You bring money home and it doesn't go very far. Nothing seems to be too successful anymore. And isn't that about where we are right now? We're beginning to see terrible inflation and it's going to get worse and worse. I had somebody ask me to stop at Escobar's yesterday on the way up to his ranch to get him a bean burrito. And they have a sign posted right there inside the restaurant that says due to the escalating cost in the meat beef market, all products <coughs> or all menu uh, items that we serve are going to go up this much in price because of beef. It says chicken and, and uh, shrimp remain the same for now, but the price of beef is going up so rapidly we can't. Handle it. We have got to raise the price on beef items. Uh, I just heard yesterday. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I just heard that, uh, and it was reported that Pilot, uh, Flying J, Sinex, and uh, Loves are all being, have all been told that they will get one more fuel delivery, and after that. When their tanks get down to 10%, they are to shut the pumps down. Now, three of those supply most of the fuel for the trucking industry. And Sinex provides most of the fuel for farms and ranches. You don't see big Sinex truck stops for the most part, but you do see a Cinex in every little town across Farming America. And that's where they get... Their supplies is from Sinex mostly. So if that indeed be true, we could see uh, the pump shut down, the trucking industry basically stopped, and the farming industry stopped. Now, those are things that I expect to happen. Now, whether this sets it off or not, I don't know. We'll see if it's a true report or a false report. But you're seeing all kinds of things like that, and the costs are going up and going up. I talked to somebody in a gas station a few days ago, and uh, they were having trouble getting their coffee. Their system wasn't working, so they'd ordered new equipment and had been on back order now for weeks because they can't get the equipment. And she says, not just that. She says, we're supposed to have six kind of wieners in that case over there for people to roast, and we've only got two. We can't get the other four anymore. So, I mean, it's it's everywhere you look. And it's getting worse, and will get worse. So, uh, it's a fact that a lot of used cars now, that are only a year or two, maybe three years old at the most, are now selling for more than they cost new two years ago, because, because of chip uh, not chips not being available, they can 't manufacture cars like they were, so the cost of used cars is now more than those cars sold for originally, but there's no inflation, according to our wonderful government. We all know that. so do we have wages that get put in a bag with holes? <laughs> The price keeps going up, and you can buy less and less. This this is today, folks. This isn't sometime way down in the future. This is it. The book of Haggai ends the last verse, or the last two verses, uh, well, last three, how he'll shake the heavens and the earth, and he doesn't say shortly. He says shortly earlier in this book. It's only two chapters. He says shortly in one place. And at the end of the book, he takes the shortly out and says, I'm going to do it. A happening. So this is an end time book, no question, and the end time remnant and the end time leadership of that remnant. So he says, Here's the situation you face. These people are going to come. Are they going to be primed to build a physical temple? Who are these people, this remnant? They're 10% of what worldwide was, is who they are. A remnant, 10%. They have never, as far as I know, any of them, been taught that the church is going to build a temple. They've all been told, over the decades, that the Jews would build it as soon as they could get rid of the Dome of the Rock in that Jerusalem. The Arabs built it, and the Arabs would be highly incensed if the Jews took bulldozers to that. But we've been waiting for now, as far as I know, nearly 70 years since I first heard it, (laughs) that the Jews are going to take that down and build a temple. So that's what we've been indoctrinated to believe over the decades. But it hasn't happened. But that's all we've been taught by Worldwide, right? Were you ever taught we were going to, that your church was going to build a physical temple? I never heard one breath of any such thing. So when those people come, is the point I'm getting to? They're going to come here, never having heard that, haven't been taught it, hadn't been brought up. They still believe the Jews are going to build a temple in. The Middle East Jerusalem, for the most part, I suppose. They still think they're going to Petra for a place of safety, too, I suppose. So there are a lot of things that they have not been taught that are so familiar to you now that you almost take them for granted. But they don't. When they arrive in this Zion area, they will not have a clue that it's time to build a physical temple. That's why Haggai puts it the way he does. This people say, it isn't time to do that. We've been taught these decades it's time to build a spiritual temple. And the Methodists and the Baptists and the Mormons believe that. And so did the whole church. I don't know whether Mormons do or not, but I'm I'm just picking some numbers, names out of the air. So, they're going to have to be told... Now, wait a minute. Let's, let's consider our ways. Let's consider that you've been in a deteriorating society and your money is no longer worth much and getting worth more worthless every day that goes by. And let's think about what we need to be doing here. What you have been doing hasn't been too successful. Look at the church and all its members out there. How successful is the church at this point? (laughs) Couldn't get in much worse shape overall. So he said, consider your ways. Go to the mountains and bring wood and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, says the Eternal. Says you look for much. And it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow up on it. Why? says the Eternal of hosts. Because of my house that is waste, and you run every man to his own house. Get your mind off yourselves and get it on what I need done, he said. That's what this is all about. And they're going to be stirred to come, but then they're going to be educated as to what needs done. They'll get here without a clue. They will see some signs and wonders that will stir them, that God is going to do. It says there in Zechariah 3 that he will do signs and wonders and use them to reveal his servant the branch. Because the branch himself will not show up until he sees God's hand somewhere. Then he will come to it. Because he already knows about it. And when he sees it happen, he's going to say, Oh, okay. So he will be stirred to come, Same as everybody else. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from you, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought on the land and upon the mountains and on the corn and the wine and so on. And nothing that you did... Worked. Now we can look at the overall church of God today and see all these different groups out there, nothing they're doing is really working. God just blew it all away and it's not producing. So he's saying, What good is all this religious energy done? None. So he says, Let's refocus and get our minds on doing what I need done to fulfill my prophecies. You've got to have a temple for the abomination to stand up in. You've got to have walls about Jerusalem in order for us to flee from Jerusalem and the city to be taken over, as the Scriptures say, it will be done. And that the Gentiles will be in charge of the true Jerusalem for three and a half years. From the time they set that abomination up and the message begins to go out to the world as a witness as to who God is, they will be in charge of Jerusalem for the next three and a half years. We get to build it for them, and then they get to take it over with the treasures With the temple artifacts, with the gold and the silver. And right here in this book, you go down to chapter 2. God says the gold and the silver is mine. But He allows, so there's going to be gold and silver. It's going to happen. Isaiah 44 and 45 say that it is going to happen. It'll be there. And it'll be a witness that God is God. From the east to the west. There in Isaiah 45. So, but it's God's. Now, is He going to let it be defiled for three and a half years? Yep. Didn't He let Nebuchadnezzar carry off a lot of that stuff in the past? Yep. Didn't Darius give it back to Ezra and Nehemiah? Yep. God's going to do it again. So, We've had some discussions over the years that we've been looking around for some of these things as to what's going to happen here. If we, if we find these things, what if the world takes them over? Well, it's going <laughs> to. That's the bottom line. It's going to. It won't for a certain period of time while the building is going on and prepared. But from the order of giving, of Jerusalem being built, there's 70 weeks to accomplish that task, and those treasures will need to show up somewhere along the line in order to be inculcated into the temple and into Jerusalem. And then as soon as that 70 weeks is done, the times of the Gentiles start, and they Have God's gold and silver for three and a half years. And then they lose it. (laughs) Because it's God's. So he'll allow them to have it for a certain period of time. Shouldn't bother us at all. God's gold, God's silver, he'll take care of it. And he's already told us they're going to have it for a while. So, not to worry. Everything's under control. So, verse 12, Zerubbabel and Joshua, with the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Eternal, their God, in the words of Haggai the prophet, and started doing what? Going to the mountains, getting some wood, getting ready to build a temple. They responded and obeyed because they came here with an attitude of, I want to be part of what God is doing. And when they get here, they don't have a clue what he's doing. So they get told. And Haggai tells them right here. I mean, it's laid out. It's, it's easy to see what they need to be taught. <laughs> so once they get the idea, and they're told, no, not that, this. Then they'll fall in line and jump in with zeal and energy in order to get it accomplished. That's what it says right here. Uh, Then spoke Haggai in verse 13, uh, the message, and God says he's with them, and he stirred up the leaders and the people, uh, the remnant of the people, that came and they went to build the house. Then it mentions another date, verse 15, in the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month. So this started out on 6-1, which this year happens to be September 7th. Last night was a new moon. Uh, but September 7th is the first day of the sixth month. So now, twenty-four days later, these people have had a chance to Be taught and they've come and are ready to work. So then we have another date, 24 days later. Why? Specific things have to happen. And I felt for a long time that somehow, some way, these specific dates that he gives through here would be carried out in some way. Otherwise, why are they here? What's the point? What's the purpose? on what time it came, because God has a time schedule. Now, whether that fits this year or not remains to be seen. I'm just telling you, here's a possibility that we can look at and think about and pray about, and we'll see if it's this year. Uh, We don't know that yet, but we'll find out, won't we? Then in chapter 2, verse 1, uh, the seventh month and the 21st day of the month. So this is the next month. And 721 happens to be the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles begins on the 14th day of the seventh month. So the 21st day is always the last day, the day just before uh, the last great day. The last. Seventh day of Feast of Tabernacles. Why? I don't know. But here it is. <clears throat> That's the date God gives. Maybe at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, something important starts. What does he say after this? On the twenty-first day of the seventh month, speak to Zerubbabel and to Joshua and to the residue of the people... Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now in comparison? What came before is as nothing. (coughs) So something is beginning to happen here. There, There can be comparisons drawn from perhaps the 21st day of the seventh month in some way. So he encourages them then, says, Now be strong, Zerubbabel and Joshua, and be strong, all you people of the land, and work. I am with you. So, apparently, there is a gathering, and then there's instruction, then there is the preparation to build, and maybe at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, when he says, well now, go to work. And be strong. My spirit remains among you just like it was when you came out of Egypt, so don't fear. Well, why would you fear? Because the whole new world order is going to be arrayed against this and try to destroy it. And eventually they will actually take it over once it's done. So there would be a reason to fear. He says, don't fear. I'll take care of you just like I did when I brought you through the Red Sea. That's pretty dramatic. How far do you have to go to see what he's talking about? Next book, Zechariah. He says, I'll be a wall of flame, a wall of fire around you and defend you, and I'll be a covert from the heat and from the rain. I look forward to this day. I went out today to come here, and it was hot. Supposed to be 107 here today. Probably be 130 in Death Valley at least. 134 is the hottest temperature ever recorded on Earth, and that was 90 years ago in Death Valley. And it was within four degrees of it the other day, and might get there before this summer's over again. We are in terrible times. I met somebody from Phoenix the other day, and I I says, uh, Where are you from? He says, Phoenix. And I said, I'm sorry. He says, What do you mean? I said, it'll be very long but you're going to be looking somewhere for a drink of water. Lake Mead is at the lowest point it has ever been since it was constructed. Lake Powell is at about the same place, and reservoirs all over California are at the same place. There are going to be millions of people without water shortly. The famine and drought and disease is coming upon us. We've already instituted a lot of disease, and death with the death vaccine. But now it's going to be the weather as well. And without water, you can't grow crops. Without fuel, you can't run tractors. On and on it goes. We're there. But he says, don't fear. They're going to come after you, but I'll be a wall of fire around you and a covert from the heat so it's not too hot and things can grow. And it'll probably be like the Garden of Eden, it'll be a covert from the rain, so probably be watered subterranean. Uh, yeah, bring me another cup of water, thank you. I, I'm going to go on for two more hours here. I will, we won't be too long here now. So, then he says, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the seas and the dry land. A little while means it's imminent, and what he's telling us here needs to be done, has to get done, before he starts doing the shaking. That would include building the temple in Jerusalem, and then preaching to the world for three and a half years, and then it's going to start shaking like crazy. So, it's just a little while. And then when he gets to the end of this story, after we've done what we're supposed to do, <clears throat> he takes the little while away, as I said. Then it starts. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine. So he'll fill it with his glory. won't last long, but Jim Giles will take it over. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, says the eternal of hosts, and in this place will I give peace. So it is both a spiritual church, which all of us believe, as well as a physical temple. And the physical temple is going to be taken over, but the spiritual temple is going to be allowed to escape and continue to have the blessings of God. No physical gold or silver particularly, but spiritual gold and silver is what you'll take to Zion. And God will take care of us there as well, with the covert over and the wall of fire around. So there's nothing to worry about. Then we have one more date in Haggai. In the 24th day of the ninth month, the second year of Darius, same year, uh, month after month going by here, he asked the priests the question. Does that which is holy touches unholy become holy? And if something that's... Well, let me read it here. If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And they said, that'll be unclean. If something holy touches something unholy, it becomes unclean. He says, so is this people. So is this nation before me, says the Eternal, and so is every work of their hands, that which they offer is unclean. Everything is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the eternal. Now, he says to begin to get work, to go to work. And it sounds like there in chapter 1, you go to the mountains, get wood, you're, you're assembling things to get ready to build. Just as David assembled so Solomon could build, it appears that that's what's happening. But here on the 9th and 24th, apparently there hasn't been a stone laid in the foundation yet. And he says, since those days when nothing was working, I smote you with blasting and mildew, and he's reminding us what happened to the church. And that No blessing seems to have come since. So this is in a short period of time, from September to December of this one year, that these things are happening. So, he says, consider now, verse 18, from this day forward, from the 24th day, the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Will it get laid on the 9th and 24th? Sounds like it. That'd be December, toward the end of December. Is the seed yet in the barn? Is the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree brought forth? No. Not until this point. But he says, from this day will I bless you. Now bless them in what? Former and latter rain? No, that's a different issue. This is talking about building the temple. Foundation being laid, 924, it appears, and from that day forward, he'll bless. That's why I've always marked 924 and watched it year after year after year, wondering, is this the year? I don't doubt the prophecy. I always wondered which year. <coughs> and so far, it had not happened. Is this the year? I think there's a good possibility of that. I think we need to focus on it and uh, see. And if it isn't the year again, as has been the case since I've been watching it since 1996, every year, uh, then it I know it's not near as far off as it was. If it isn't this year, it's bound to be by next year who knows, for sure. But the world is deteriorating very, very rapidly, day by day, in front of us. So I think that this is a very a very likely poss- possibility. But I'm not going to stick my neck out and say this is it. We shall see. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not predicting this. I'm saying here's a possibility. So I'm going to be watching it to see if this is indeed the year Because it gives me some hope past Pentecost, which wasn't the year that Joel 2 took place, uh, in terms of visions and dreams. That could be next year. After he starts blessing us, maybe by spring, uh, as the temple is being built and Jerusalem being built, maybe then there will be an outpouring for whatever reason he has in mind. I don't know that. But we'll see, because it's there. So, uh, then he says again on the 24th day of the ninth month, tells Zerubbabel, now I'm going to start shaking the earth. Once this temple is being constructed and built, and then the Gentiles take over for three and a half years, then that's, that's it. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth. So this is so much an end time prophecy. Now we can go into Zechariah. I don't know that I really have time today because I want to do it justice. Maybe we'll wait till next week to show how Zechariah fits in with what we have just been talking about. Because it, it fits perfectly and the message even began during the middle of what we just read in Haggai. We didn't Focus on that because it wasn't in Haggai; it was in Zechariah. But the message started with dates within Haggai, so therefore it ties the two inexorably together. And maybe we'll just wait till next week to uh, to address that.